So this morning, I want to kind of continue the theme there that Bobby introduced us to in the gospel reading. Uh, this idea that the kingdom of heaven is different than the way the world operates. If we are to live in God's kingdom, we need to know everything that we can know about his kingdom, how it operates, who he is, who we are, and most especially who we are in him. To do that, we have to study God's word. We have to understand what God is saying to us so that we know how to apply it to our lives and live the way of God's kingdom. We need to study God. Psalm 145, 18 says, The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. See, knowing God requires communication with him and studying what he says to us in his word. And so we go to the word as the source of God's communication with us. Now, the Bible is the infallible, unchanging, enduring word of God. And the original text was recorded repetitiously from mouth to ear to paper in individual correspondence, in hand-scribed narratives, all in Hebrew and Greek. And then later in the fourth century, it was translated into Latin and there was a school of thought that emerged in the church, and rightly so, establishing the Holy Scriptures as containing all that is necessary for salvation and holiness. Now, they gave it a fancy name in Latin, sola scriptura. It means by scripture alone. And early in church history, there were these great meetings, these great summits that were held to decide which writings would be validated as scripture and which ones would not. And eventually, as the more, now I'll use the term, radical theologians in the church began to demand translations into the language of the common people, these other translations were produced one at a time by hand. And then much later, as innovations and technology emerged, the Bible was widely distributed and there were multiple versions of it that emerge. And what we have today, our modern Bible is a product of that process. Now, I tell you this very rudimentary abbreviated narrative about the development of the modern day Bible because I, I believe a basic understanding is required of us of the, the vast expanse of time and the many hands and processes through which the text has passed. And even through all of that, here's the thing, 
The Bible that we read today is miraculously faithful to the original texts. There's this wonderful, supernatural explanation for this remarkable accuracy. And it's in the opening verses of the book of John. Do you know what it is? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being because in Him was life and the life was the light of men. See, there's this common thread that's woven through the entire Bible. From Genesis all the way through Revelation. And that common thread in that whole tapestry of Scripture is Jesus Christ. The interwoven tapestry of God's Word is the living Christ who was and is and will forever be. And Scripture endures because Christ endures. Scripture is immutable, unchangeable, because Christ is unchangeable. Scripture illuminates the truth for us because He is truth. The Word is eternal because Christ is the Word. That's why, thousands of years later, the text that we read in our various versions of the Bible is remarkably faithful to the original manuscript. Now, I tell you all that to tell you this. While you embark on your journey of studying God's Word, don't get bogged down in which text the, the scholars deem most accurate and which ones the experts think is best. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. And as some people say, I read the King James Version because that's the one that Jesus carried. If you don't see the humor in that, come to Bible study on this planet. You see, <clears throat> looking at multiple versions side by side is often the best way to fully understand a passage of Scripture. If we look at just one example that comes to us out of the Gospels, of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and I always like to begin this countdown into Lent with this particular sermon, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and I like to look at it from a relatively high translation of Matthew 5 in the New American Standard Bible. Bear with me, I know this is a little bit academic, but it has a point and I think you will see the merits of it. And then simultaneously, as, as you're reading a high translation, read and contemplate this modern down-to-earth version in the conceptual language of the message. Then you can get a, a very real sense of both the deity and the humanity of Jesus. 
I'd like us to try it, and we're going to try it here together this morning, and see if you don't, at the very least, pull more meaning than ever before out of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Listen to what Matthew writes in the High Translation. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Listen to the message version of that verse or those verses. When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. And this is what he said. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. Isn't that wonderful? Think about that. With less of you, there's more room for God and the word of God. I'm going to continue with these beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope with less of you. There's more of God and his rule. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. I don't know about you, but I love that. Are you with me on this? I, 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 I need you. <laughs> I know that we're not jumping pews in here very often, but feedback would be wonderful. Because I need to know that you can appreciate both the high translation, the literal translation of the Word of God, and the conceptual meaning and that you can put the two together and rejoice in the word of God as it can be practically applied to your life. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. Amen. Thank you. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. Now you're getting it. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. Amen. Amen. Better than spaghetti supper from Italian. <laughs> blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. Go, message, go. Blessed are the pure in heart, 
for they shall see God. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. Oh, isn't that truth? You have got to get your inside world right before you can ever see God working out there in the mission field. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. Man, we could use some peacemakers in the world today. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. Well, there's a thought. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. That, my friends, is something that we have got to learn to be able to experience. Now it's getting tougher and tougher to be a Christian, but still I haven't walked down the street of Splendora fearing that my head might be separated from my body. That kind of thing will increase your prayer life. And I pray it never gets to that point, but the point is well taken that when you live a life for Christ that causes others discomfort in their unrighteousness so much so that they lash out at you because you are not living the same secular cultural lifestyle that you're not tolerant of the ways of the world when that causes them discomfort and they lash out at you you know you are living within the will of God Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The message says not only that. Count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even for though they don't like it, I do. And all heaven applauds and know that you are in good company. My prophets my prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. So if people persecute you because you are a Christ follower, if they mock you and make fun of you, Jesus says you're in good company because those that have gone before that have proclaimed the word of God, they were mocked. They were persecuted. And then Jesus sums all of this up with a discussion. And it's, it's a wonderful discussion because how many times have you 
thought to yourself, what is my purpose? Why am I here? Or is it just me? You know, it's wonderful that Jesus provides the answer to that question if we will just read the words. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. The message says, let me tell you why you are here. It doesn't get any plainer than that. Why am I here, Lord? Well, read Matthew 5, verse 13. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of the earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and you will end up in the garbage. So when Jesus gave them that explanation, they, they, he was looking around as he's giving the sermon and he could still see the confusion in some eyes. And so he said, let me try it this way. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So as I said, as, he's, as Jesus is looking around at his congregation there at the Sermon on the Mount, he sees that they're not quite grabbing the whole salt thing. And so he says, here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going to go public with this as public as a city on a hill. And if I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. It doesn't get much clearer than that. See, the, the first eight statements in Jesus's sermon on the Mount are called the Beatitudes. You've heard that before. I've known it since elementary school, Sunday school class. Mrs. Beale, she taught the Beatitudes in the high church. The message, I don't think the message even in, uh, existed back then. If you had a Mrs. Beale in your life, I'm sure that you remember the Beatitudes. You might not know that the word Beatitude comes from the Latin Beatitudo. It means a condition or a state of profound joy and fulfillment, a state of blessedness. 
Blessedness is a grace from God. It's a gift that he bestows on us when we are operating within the boundaries of his perfect will. And in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he is speaking about the coming kingdom and the reality of the already established kingdom of God in the lives of believers that are here on earth right now. And the thing that we don't often realize as Christ followers is that with the many blessings that Jesus gives to us come many, many responsibilities. We have a responsibility to function as salt and light in the world. If you remember James, uh, the second chapter, verse 26, he says to us that while we are saved by faith, faith without works is dead. That's a bold statement. And what he's saying is we can't just sit idle in our salvation. We can't just say to the world, I'm okay, pull up the ladder. No, we can't do that. We have a responsibility to those out there, the unchurched, those who don't even know they need a relationship with Jesus. We can't just sit idle in our salvation. No, we have to be active participants in our sanctification, in our growth into the maturity in Christ. Our, our purpose is to know Christ, yes, and knowing Christ to make him known. We have to make him known in the world. That is our function as the church. Why? Because Jesus tells us, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Your salty light You're both salt and light. And he's telling you, go live your life in the world as a shining example of what it is to be truly in the world, but not of it. Go be salt and light to a world that is desperate for some flavor from the kingdom of God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand for our final hymn this morning, Be Hide of My Soul.